Welcome to Table Talk, where we discuss issues of faith, culture, and the church. Here's your host, my dad, Jerry Bertelson. Welcome to the table, friends. Today, my table guest is Pastor Jason Bowker. Jason is pastor of First Baptist Church of Bozeman, Montana, where he has served for going on five years now, since 2015. Prior to that, he was the assistant director at the Rock Youth Center. Jason is a native of Montana. He studied at the University of Sioux Falls and then earned a Master of Divinity Divinity degree, there we go, I'll spit that out, from the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. Jason, welcome to the table. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Jerry. Good to connect again after about 15 years of not talking. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a while, hasn't it? <laughs> our, our grudge can finally be put to rest here. I think so. I think 15 years is probably long enough. So. Those words that you said to me have lingered for long enough. Yes, so. exactly. I'll, it's I'll finally forgive you. But. Thank you. I appreciate that, Jason. It's it's so strange, you know, connecting to people on Facebook and seeing people again. Uh, well, you know, for 15 years, yeah, like you said, haven't had conversations over the phone or in person, um, you know, been friends on Facebook. And it's kind of incredible how for 15 years you can stay connected, quote unquote, to somebody, but never really be connected to them any more than than observing and maybe responding some, to some posts or something. But I'm glad, yeah. uh, glad that we're having this conversation today you in montana myself in south dakota now i've been to montana once so you're gonna have to share with me something you appreciate about montana and why i should take my family on vacation there oh man but well that's a boy there's too much to talk about there (laughs) but uh montana is pretty diverse as uh as we kind of know in in uh all these midwestern type states where where East River and West River can be totally different. And Montana's kind of got that vibe too. Eastern Montana is totally uh, agricultural, wheat fields for forever. And then you uh, you get about halfway through the state and you're in the Rocky Mountains. And so that's where I live. That's where Bozeman's at. It's a, it's a ski town, uh, college town. That's where Montana State University is. So, uh, so we're about uh, – 50,000 people or so like right in the mountains 16 miles from ski resort and so uh so that's uh that's why I appreciate it personally is uh there's mountain biking out our back door kind of thing uh but yeah it's I mean Montana is also home to Glacier National Park and and Bozeman itself is just an hour from Yellowstone so so uh yeah come out and visit and uh and you can uh, you can partake in two of the best national parks in the country Sounds great. We'll be there. All right. Sounds good. We got we got a spare bedroom, so Excellent. come on out. Excellent. Well, uh, I want to shift now to uh, to talking about uh, things that have been going on lately. One of the things that I noticed on your Facebook page, uh, and this jumped out at me, was that you are considering or have thought about unplugging from social media and particularly Facebook. But before we get to that topic – the reason why I'm connecting these two about national conversations on on race and Facebook is because Facebook really has become a um, uh, a platform to be able to dialogue and share and uh, you know swap links and that sort of thing about this conversation on race, which is really magnified right now. 
with this heightened national conversation on race these past three plus weeks, what has what what has they been like for you? Yeah, I mean it's uh it, it's been kind of crazy on Facebook. I uh, I exist in a world where I I have you know I went to seminary out in Seattle, so so half of my half of my Facebook feed is is uh, liberal folks who are kind of in the in the thick of the urban environment and and uh, and are experiencing kind of the you know the the real heat of of racial tension right now and um, and then I I currently dwell and and uh, did so in South Dakota too uh, in in places that uh, have given me friends where there's there's a lot of conservative folks uh, and so it's it's uh um i mean we can talk about me going off of facebook here in in a little while or whenever but uh um it's it's kind of a lot to handle right now um just because there's so many sides and so many uh, opinions and um tough to know what to believe and what to think and um yeah it's it's uh it's kind of tough and especially as a pastor it's a it's a weird time to to be a pastor as well. There are certain things that you just have to call out. Like if if you're not going to call out systemic racism right now, when would you ever? Yeah. Uh, and so, so I haven't shied away from that. Uh, and yet at the same time, uh, I I pastor a church where we're we're not very diverse racially, but we are most certainly diverse politically and and socially. So. Um, just kind of navigating that tension of what do you say and when and and uh, and what's my role as a pastor and what's my role as a person. So um, and trying to trying to walk that line. Uh, not sure I'm, I'm always doing it well, um, but uh, but yeah, it's been it's been a weird three weeks for sure. I'd like to read something that you wrote on your blog called Life Abundant. You uh, posted a few days ago. Uh, entry about unplugging and you wrote in there it's been confusing to process and challenging to verbalize because it's not just physical tiredness that you're experiencing it's also some sort of spiritual and emotional fatigue the best way i found to describe what i'm feeling is existential exhaustion being tired worn out and depleted at my core Uh, but i wasn't able to understand and name why this was happening until last night through a conversation with mandy your wife I think it's all connected for me to Facebook, unquote. How did you arrive at that conclusion? Well, Mandy and I were in conversation. This would have been like last week on Sunday or Monday. And, and yeah, just kind of burnt out. I, I, I talked, I preached about it this last Sunday, in fact. Um, but uh, yeah, just, I was, I was tired to the core, like falling asleep at my desk, uh, kind of tired at, at 11 o'clock in the morning, uh, when, when I should have been full of energy and, and couldn't put my finger on it. But, uh, but Mandy and I were having a conversation about Facebook and, and, uh, and, and some infighting that was happening between friends and, and some things like that. And, and, uh, I think in that moment, and, and she kind of, she kind of was expressing like, I don't really know how to deal with this. And, and, uh, and I don't really know like, um, what to, what to think or what to do or how to respond. And something about that conversation we had just kind of flicked the switch for me where, where I thought those are the questions that I've been asking myself for like 
three straight months and and probably like a dozen times a day I, I kid you not I find myself asking questions like do I respond to this or do I not do I do I uh, do I like this post do I not do I share this article or do I not yeah. uh, do I respond to this ignorant comment or not? And if I don't respond, is that weak or is it, uh, or is it courageous? Is it, is it being wise and shrewd or is it just being cowardly? Uh, and if I don't respond to that comment, uh, how would I respond if I were to like, like wrestling with these kind of things all day like what's my role as a pastor what's my role as a person what's my role as a friend uh how much is too much to say publicly like it was just all all too much and so yeah that kind of prompted this like this thought that i think that's my problem i think that's why i'm existentially exhausted and and for me it was coming down to, to facebook it was this place where this thing that I love and yet it was kind of crushing my soul at the same time. So, so yeah, I, uh, that, that Monday, this had been a, a week ago, Monday, I, uh, I wrote that post and shared it with my church and put it on online and, and then, uh, deleted the app from my phone. And, and I haven't, I haven't really looked at Facebook since it's been about 10 days now. So, um, that also means I'm not as well informed, so I'm having to be really intentional about like going to the news and and uh, and keying in on things that are important because I'm not going to kind of get those naturally from Facebook. But man, it's it's been a stress-free week. Uh, it's been just a salve for my soul. So uh, I I don't know how long this will last, but I just I needed to just back away and kind of deep detox from from uh, uh, all the comments and wondering and questions that, that Facebook uh, brings with it. So, yeah, I don't know if I made the right decision. There's sometimes where I, like, I, I wish I knew more now. I'm not as informed as I was, but gosh, it's been a peaceful week, a, a week of shalom for sure. I resonate with that. You were mentioning all the list of things that are going through your mind as you're on Facebook. Do I respond? Do I like? Do I... Who's going to see this? All those questions. I resonate with that so much. Um, yeah. And I appreciate your vulnerability and openness uh, to talk about that. Because I think it is a reality that a lot of people are experiencing right now, especially with this heightened national conversation. Things are only amplified and divided on on Facebook. Um, so what is, what is it about the platform that brought you to a place of existential exhaustion? Was it the constant internal dialogue or was it the bombardment of information or some sort of uh, concoction of both of those going on? What was it about the platform? Itself? Yeah, I think, I think both of those are, are good ways of, of talking about it. I mean, yeah, Facebook just keeps coming at you like all, all the time. And uh, so then, you know, in, in today's world, you're, you're left sorting out like, is this, is this post, or is this article that this person shared from a reputable source and do I need to fact check it? Or is this thing that they're saying, um, is it true? And, and it just keeps coming and coming and coming. And so uh, that's kind of exhausting. And however the algorithm works with, with Facebook, you know, it, 
if you engage with things and click on things, then they show you more of those things. So, so, or if you're really close with people and you, you know, they're close friends or they're people in my church, um, you know, if I've engaged with them, then it shows me their things more often. And so there are actually some of those where, you know, I've got, I've got a few folks in my church that are going back and forth on a number of things. And, and Facebook just kept showing me like all the comments and things that they were, that they were saying. Um, so, uh, so then it, yeah, it just kept bombarding me and, and maybe I don't have enough uh, self-control or, or willpower to, to just say no and, and not look, but something in my brain started, started to, to wonder like, well, I wonder what the next comment will be. Like, I wonder, I wonder what their response would be. And, and, uh, and as the pastor, I'm thinking, is, do I have a role in mediating any sort of conversation or, or do I just stay out of it? And, and so, so yeah, I think the, the bombardment was, was, uh, was, uh, was a big part of it, but also, yeah, it's just all these questions and kind of, kind of wondering, how I respond to any of it was just taxing on my on my brain and and on my on my emotions and and uh, on my spirituality and on my family's health. Like um, that, it can be such an addictive thing too. Where I'd find myself grabbing at my phone at at you know at any free moment when there's a little bit of lull in the conversation. Suddenly, I'm grabbing at my phone to to check out, to voyeuristically check out Facebook and see what everyone else is saying and posting and what's the newest kind of national gossip that's, that's making the, the rounds in Facebook land. So uh, that none of that was healthy for me. And uh, I just needed to say goodbye for a little while, at least. What are the benefits and hopes that you are hoping to gain from going off of Facebook? Well, I think I just, I need some kind of peace within my own body. Uh, first and foremost, I think like, man, I woke up that Tuesday morning feeling refreshed and rejuvenated. And uh, I preached about this this last Sunday, but man, I just, I stood in the shower on Tuesday morning and, and, uh, and had this kind of breath of fresh air and, and felt this kind of centering prayer come over me like, Lord Jesus, I need your shalom, and and already felt myself um, kind of stepping into that kind of this, you know, if if the stress I was feeling was this kind of existential exhaustion, like I was already starting to feel some sort of existential vivacity or fullness or life uh, uh, re-entering my body. So, so I think like just on a personal level, like I just needed to find some peace. For a little bit, uh, and then the you know the second layer is probably my family. Like I just needed to spend some more time focusing on what was really important. Um, and I'm I'm generally fairly good at that. But man, if you're if you're living an all right life, then it kind of makes you want to like go all the way and and make sure every little piece of who you are is healthy. And so so I still had this really unhealthy part of me that that was you know, tied too heavily to my, this device that lives in my pocket. And I just, um, for the sake of myself and my family, I just needed to try to get holistically healthy. And and that was a little part of that. So have you experienced any withdrawal? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, there've been like, I, 
the, the, some of the trouble is I still have to do a little bit of work on Facebook, uh, for my job. Like I, like, like we live stream our services on Facebook. So, so I, you know, I have to, I have to kind of deal with Facebook land for that. And, and, uh, we do some like, like Facebook events for things that we do. So, so I've like, I've had to kind of be on it just for a second. And I find that that kind of urge within me, like when I'm on it for work to say, I could just scroll for a minute or two. And I was just like, Nope, I'm just, uh, I'm closing that down and, and just not even going to, going to engage. And, and, and yeah, then some of it's just like a worry about like, do I, am I informed enough? Like they're still, man, our world is still in crisis. And like, I need to know, or I want to know, like, how are we doing when it comes to COVID? And, what is happening in, in a world of racial tension? Like, I still want to know that stuff. And so I think I kind of feel this, like, oh, man, I'm missing out on something because I'm not on Facebook. And, and I think that's actually true. I'm, I'm missing out on something. And, and I just have to decide, is it, has this been a positive enough experience to, to be out of the, you know, Facebook world uh, to, to kind of make up for the fact that I am missing out on some amount of uh, being informed, properly informed, uh, which which I I want and need as as a pastor as well to be able to to speak prophetically into into our current national crises. Have you found other news sources that have been helpful? I mean, nothing much more than what I would normally go to for news. I'm I'm a I'm kind of an NPR nerd, so that's that's always the first uh, place that I go. It, it just feels like they're the most truth-telling kind of source. Uh, but I find myself, you know, going to both CNN and Fox News just to see what people are saying and what people are thinking. Because I've I've got CNN folks in my church and I've got Fox News folks in my church, and I think it gives me a little bit of insight into what their what their brains and and hearts are being filled with uh, each day as well. So, um, yeah, nothing, nothing uh, really other than that. I haven't, I haven't filled up my life with with much more other than just trying to be a little more frequent in checking the news. There seems to be an impulse, and maybe I'm reading this wrong, but there seems to be an impulse that any and all technology is inherently good. So we need to welcome it into the life of the church. If you could put a filter on a conversation as to what a church should uh, welcome into the life of the local gathered community, what would be in that filter? What questions or discerning mechanisms might you use in that process and in that discussion? Yeah, that's a, man, that's a great question. Uh, I, I certainly find myself skeptical of folks that, kind of just say this is the new world and just get on board like like the church has to just embrace that this is what life looks like in in the 21st century so just just embrace it and go for it like i'm a i don't know call me a luddite when it comes to technology cuz i'm i'm not there i'm not really ready to to just embrace any and all technology especially you know, I've I've wrestled with it with the with the live streaming world for quite a while, uh, and we actually we resisted that until uh, COVID forced our hand, and um, and and we've already been having conversation as leadership at the church about like 
is there a point where we stop doing live streaming or do we just keep doing it for forever now? And, and how do we do it? And do we put any money into that? And, um, I, I continue, I continue to wrestle with that. I, I, I think, uh, I, I think part of the filter is, um, like, does it allow you, does it allow you to, to kind of uh, still fulfill your vision as a church, your mission and vision as a church? And, and does it allow you, like, are you still able to be the church uh, through that? And, and if not, then I'm probably not willing to put a whole lot of emphasis into that sort of technology. So, Mm. so like, I think that we're still going to provide live streaming, for example, moving forward, like probably indefinitely. Uh, But, but we're a church that thrives on being embodied. Like that's who we are as a church. We're an incarnated kind of church and that's who I'm pushing us to be all the more. Uh, we, we emphasize really intentional community and being really present with one another and um, that being in physical space together is really vital for the for uh, kind of fostering the the Jesus experience, so um, so I wouldn't want to like overemphasize the online experience to the point where people might think, "Wow, like I could just stay at home and get the same experience as as being in church um, and being in the church building." So um, yeah, I. Other than that, I'm I'm not sure about like other technology things. We we try to just use it as as a tool, but not as something that is ever kind of the main thing, you know. So we try to have a decent website, but I'm I'm not interested in in uh, like having to be fancy and and up to date on everything. And and it's been fun to experiment with some video and things like that during this time, but. I don't foresee myself taking a whole lot of time to record videos and things like that, uh, you know, post COVID. And, and I think, I think live streaming is an asset for our church and something that is nice for people who are, are sick or, or homebound members or people that are on vacation. But I'm also not interested really even in even having like our snowbirds who like live in Phoenix for the summer or for the winter, like, like I want them to find an embodied church down in Phoenix. So like, I don't want to, like, I don't want our live stream to be so great that they can say, Oh yeah, I'll just, I'll just keep worshiping with my Bozeman church all year long, even though we're only there for three months or something like that. So it reminds me of, of a conversation I had with a, another, a retired pastor, I believe who was talking about how now that he's retired, he can, he can watch, a bunch of services and how some of them are not well done, <laughs> but he said mm-hmm. something, he said, that's great. He said, it should suck online. <laughs> like it should, yeah. it, it should not be as good as in person. If that's even possible, that shouldn't even be the goal because it should be missing something always online. And that's, that's what I hear you saying about the live streaming experiences. It shouldn't be a replacement uh, for the, the embodied gathered church. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, and I don't know for how many people they would treat it as, as such, but I've, I had a, 
a conversation with one of my kids' parents, uh, my kids' friends' parents the other day. I was picking up my daughter and and they go to a kind of a big mega church type church in here in town. And, you know, they do awesome worship and fancy light shows and everything's kind of fancy. And so I think their online experience is probably fantastic as well. And, uh, and they were kind of saying like, yeah, this is great. It's like way easier. We can just go to the couch and we can worship in our pajamas and it's fantastic. And I think we might still keep doing that even when they open back up. We might never go to church again. And I thought, oh man, like I think, like I would, I would hate to to provide an experience like that or 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 to uh, to kind of foster an ethos at our church where where that was even appropriate. I guess. Yeah. Um, so in thinking of uh, these national conversations on, on race and now social media, uh, the pandemic, how did that affect your ministry? Yeah, good question. Um, I, I think I think your listeners are probably getting a sense that I overthink things too much, but uh, but I, I found myself kind of overthinking this process a little bit too, mostly around the idea that, like wondering, I guess, uh, how much ministry was too much ministry and how much wasn't enough in the midst of like when we were really at the height of, of stay at home uh, orders and things like that. Cause uh, I, I looked around and there were some of my colleagues here uh, in town or around the country that, man, they were, they were providing videos every single day and, and, uh, and, just just overdoing it like like three or four things for their for their churches every single day and and I felt like especially as a parent I was just trying to survive like like personally like we were just trying to make it as a family it was everything was upside down and and so then I, I think that affected the way I thought about my ministry during that time that I just I didn't want to put any burden on my on my church I, I didn't want to be creating so much content that they wouldn't even like it was just taxing or exhausting for them to have to uh, plug into all the content we were creating. So, so we were trying to find a balance there, but, uh, but we, we did online church on, on Sunday mornings and, uh, and, and I think found some kind of creative ways to do it. We, my, my wife and I are both uh, musicians. So, you know, in, in a pinch, we're able to just, uh, you know, grab our guitar and and my wife at the piano and uh kind of sing and play and preach our way through an entire service all by ourselves so we did a few of those uh just in our living room uh live streamed out to everyone from our living room and and that was that was kind of fun uh once in a while but then uh mostly we did it on zoom and and i would have different leaders that uh that would lead lead different parts of the, the liturgy for for the morning and so uh, I was I was kind of masterminding this thing behind the scenes and super stressed out about it most of the time. But we'd we'd go out to our worship leader on Zoom in in his living room, and we'd go out to a a children's ministry person out in her living room, and and we'd go out to prayers and scripture readers and and all that kind of like we were just we were trying to get into as many people's home as as we could on a Sunday morning, which. Uh, in hindsight, people people seem to really enjoy to be able to to see uh, at least some of their church family on a Sunday morning. Uh, so that was that was the main thing. Um, we we did a couple things. 
that where where we tried to uh, take care of people or or get in people's space a little bit during during the height of it we we had people from the church that were calling all of our our congregation every couple weeks or so just kind of checking in on them but then uh for palm sunday my family and i we we washed up well and put on masks and and we delivered palm branches to our entire church uh so so in the course of a day, we got to at, at a good social distance, but we got to see and and talk to almost everyone in the church. So that was that was pretty powerful. And then we kind of did the same thing on Mother's Day. We delivered flowers to all of the the women at our church to to celebrate them. And and uh, so I think those things were were uh, really really important and really well received to. Uh, when you feel like you can't even get out of your house and suddenly your your pastor is, you know, at least at least is in your driveway and you can chat for a little while. So uh, we did we did a few things like that, but we, we didn't overdo it either. We didn't we didn't go hog wild on on uh, online ministry. Well, and I appreciate those are great ideas. And I appreciate your um, insight into how the pandemic period was a time not of overtaxing your church with a lot of content, but letting things to sort of play out in mm-hmm. a healthy rhythm. And there's something else that you had written on that time on your blog that I really appreciate. Uh, you mentioned the coronavirus has given us the time to practice Sabbathing, and it's created space. Um, you went on to say that this is an opportunity to practice this discipline of Sabbath, and um, maybe when the virus is gone, we'll emerge and we'll be refreshed. And I really appreciate that perspective of how the time of isolation, whether it was a month or six weeks or some people are still staying at home, uh, that it could have an intentionality behind it to really reflect and, and practice Sabbath. Did you experience that for yourself? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was good. It, I had to be intentional about it because the, the days and weeks could kind of just morph into, uh, into one am, ambiguous uh, season. Um, so, so we had to be, we had to be uh, really intentional about how we spent our days, but um, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. It was a good time to, you know, sometimes I'd end up working then at 10 or 11 o'clock at night sometimes, but, but it was because all right, I've been with my family and we found this thing that we're going to do for the day uh, to try to get out of the house or go mountain biking as a family or, um, uh, or go for this hike or uh, even just take our dog around the, around the block for a walk. We, we would find these things to do as a family to, to try to break up the monotony a little bit. And uh, yeah, I think, I think there's some really helpful patterns that, uh, that have emerged from that, that uh, are, are making us a, a healthier family. Man, we ate together so many meals, which, um, you know, when, when there's busy schedules and, uh, you got soccer practice and, and, uh, all these meetings to go to that, that are outside of your house. Like it's just easy to grab food on the go or, or, uh, not sit down to a family meal. But man, I think there was a point in there where we had had like 15 straight family meals, like every single night. So, so that was a really fun rhythm to, to kind of get back to after, uh, after finding ourselves inundated by the the busyness of having 
you know, a six and an eight year old. So, uh, yeah, so there's, there's some perks and I tried to help my church wrestle with those things too. We did a, we did a sermon series, a six week series on just like what, what kind of things would Jesus say during this time? Like what would his wisdom be for how to deal with, with, uh, this, this weird season, this weird COVID season. So, uh, so I think those are really helpful, just like reading through every single red letter in, in the Gospels and kind of um, thinking through what what Jesus' wisdom would be for us. That, that was a, a beautiful time, too. During this uh, period of pandemic, you know, what I so appreciate about you, um, when we were together in at University of Sioux Falls and, and hearing you in this conversation now is your depth of reflection and... Uh, the way that you think through and are intentionally thinking through all aspects of your ministry. What are some things that you're reading nowadays that's shaping and continuing to help form your own thinking? Um, I I still continue to read a lot of books about like neighborhood ministry and, and how we minister um, in the geographical places where where we find ourselves in, where where God has placed us, so that, so that continues to be an emphasis all the time. Um, I'd say I'd say the thing that I'm kind of most interested in and um, is uh, like I'm pretty sold out for for discipleship in kind of a holistic sense of the word, where like every part of who we are and what we do and our our work life and our home life is is sold out to the way of Jesus and, and we're actually like trying to practice that. And so, um, well, like for example, uh, you know, I, I, it had been on my reading list for the year, but I stole your idea of doing the, the, uh, that online study on, on liturgy of the ordinary, uh, by Tish Harrison Warren talking about finding the, the sacred in all the really ordinary things that we typically write off in, in our life. And so like I read a, a lot of things in that vein and in, and I'm trying to kind of think through as a church like how do we how do we encourage people to live like whole holistically discipleship oriented lives that where where every part of who we are is is focused on Jesus and and even like trying to create worship experiences that can help people to do that that can help them to to make next steps in in following Jesus more closely, so that even our worship is more formational than than what I typically think of it as being like informational. Like like I actually want to be formed on a Sunday morning or or whenever we're gathering for worship. And so um, that's not the world I grew up in. And uh, even though. The, past, the church I'm pastoring at is the exact world that I grew up in. I, I grew up in this denomination, in this region, in this state. Uh, but but yet, um, the the kind of experience I, I'm trying to give our church is not exactly the one that I grew up with. That was a really informational kind of worship experience. Um, so like so like I I love the book. Uh, there's there's a book by Aaron Nequist um, called The Eternal Current, trying to help people create uh, worship experiences that where they can actually practice following the way of Jesus. So that that was a really profound book I read recently, and even took uh, like five or six of my church leaders out to Chicago for a trip right before Corona hit. We we did a trip in Chicago and visited a few churches that are 
that are doing some kind of creative um, um, ministry around this idea. So uh, that's 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 kind of a big idea, and then one specific book that's been really powerful for me. I'll end with this last question. What would you tell your 18-year-old self if you could tell your 18-year-old self insights about life and ministry? Oh man, that's a good that's a good question. Well, I'd probably have to start just by saying like lighten up um a little bit when it comes to theology and Bible study and things like that and and maybe the follow-up then is that um there's a lot of wisdom outside of your tribe. Um, mm. And I, I kind of stumbled upon that um, um, haphazardly, but, uh, but it's been a really beautiful thing. Like, like I said, I, I grew up American Baptist and kind of Baptist in the truest sense of the word. Like, like the Bible was the most important thing and what we believed was, was so vital. And then, found myself working at a Methodist church where social justice was emphasized and, and, uh, and, and that stretched me and grew me and I pushed back in so many ways. And yet I, I was really formed around social justice at that church and, and worked at an Episcopal church where, where liturgy and, and the sacred, the divine were like really emphasized and, and, uh, and pushed back there and yet grew so much and was almost ordained disciples of Christ at one point, which emphasized the, the sacraments so much. And, and I fell in love with communion at, at that church and, and pushed back in some ways and yet, and yet grew and, and changed and was transformed. So, so I, I think I would just say like, uh, you don't know everything and, uh, and be willing to kind of ask questions and explore and uh, and I bet you'll I bet you'll have a broader sense of who Jesus is and and uh, and what Jesus is about and what he cares about and who he cares about if you'll uh, if you'll you know broaden your horizons a little bit. So that's that's probably the wisdom that that I'd I'd pass along. Well, I've appreciated this conversation, Jason, and I hope that. I can bring my family out to Montana and we can keep the conversation going. Yeah, that'd be great. This has been great. Boy, I appreciate you sharing. That concludes our podcast for today. I want to thank Jason Balker again for joining me for a conversation on faith and social media and culture. I appreciate his insights. Look forward to next time when we talk together around the table. Until then, have a great day. Bye for now.